Hello and welcome to Harold Hay. It's Corey Vaughn with Adam Samaha. And today we're talking about Arnold's Halloween. A little late, I know. Uh, it is written by Craig Bartlett, Joseph Purdy, and Antoinette Stella. Uh, and it's directed by Tuck Tucker and Kelly James and Jimmy Mitchell. Um, this uh, comes a little late because we're doing this show in order. And so we're sorry that we're a little late for the Halloween spirit. But, you know, we have rules we have to follow. We have a very strict format, which we cannot deviate from. Never, never, never. That's what you guys like about us. You, in the emails you give us, that's there. Send us that. So what you many always emails. Say. Um, the other question that we're getting is, are we going to review the jungle, the jungle episode? Uh, or not jungle, <sighs> the Jungle Book episode. The Jungle Book episode about the Jungle Book. Um, are we going to review the Jungle movie? Uh, the answer is hopefully uh yeah. but not now yeah um, to keep you guys keep listening that's right it'll be at that's the very right. end um of the whole all of the whole yeah. thing uh i did watch it uh i won't say much i'm not gonna no spoiler alerts um i'll say turns out it's better it's all a dream it's better than i thought uh it's better than i was expecting i'll say that um, Ooh. there are some great moments. Um, Helga number one, as always, probably. Yeah. She was the best. Um, but I, I don't want to get into, t- look, I'm just saying I did see it. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Did I love it? Nah, maybe not. But if you want to see really how Corey feels about it, Craig, give us a call. We'll, we'll chat about it. That's right, baby. Uh, but yeah, or check in with us, you know, in like eight years. Um, this is a good episode though. This Halloween one, uh, we surprised ourselves because it's look, this is a, this is a great, just like Arnold's Halloween is a great episode. Fantastic. In general, episode. Yeah. Um, but we didn't know what to talk about, but guess what? We talked about the uncanny. Oh, your favorite topic. My favorite topic. Just no, the just, listener's favorite topic. Oh, sorry. Uh, we talked about the uncanny. We talked about Halloween. We talked about, um, uh, uh, fa- the father daughter relationship between big Bob and Helga. Um, conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories, uh, aliens, the X Files, um, Idaho, you know, Montana, Orson Welles. This is a good episode. We talk with words, all the best words. We have the best words, yep. as our least favorite president of all time says. Uh, so please uh, enjoy the episode of Harold Hey. Uh, bye. <laughs> Arnold's Halloween is a nice reference to Orson Welles' dramatic radio production of The War of the Worlds uh, back in 1938. Uh, Here it is in the 90s, and Arnold and Gerald have their own uh, plan to scare his grandpa and the other boarders. Uh, Basically, um, it starts off with an introduction to alien folklore, um, hosted by a character named uh douglas kane uh voiced in perfection by maurice lamarche um the uh this kind of conspiracy theory guy uh loves referencing aliens and uh arnold and gerald notice that grandpa and the other boarders um kind of are freaked out by that uh in passing 
And so when Arnold and Gerald are turned down to help set up for the Halloween party, uh, Arnold decides, okay, time to prank the old folks. Uh, And as this kind of narrative is going on, we flip back to uh, Helga, Big Bob, and Miriam, where uh, uh, Bob is playing poker with uh, Harvey and Mr. Green, and they're watching Douglas Kane's show about aliens uh, and alien conspiracy. And Helga tries to connect with uh, tries to connect with her dad, um, and he calls her Olga as usual. Um, and so she herself decides to uh, she herself decides to prank him as well. Um, and so the next day, uh, at kind of outside of the vacant lot, um, Helga is leading. Uh, the kids in a in a Halloween plan to dress up as aliens. So she kind of like spreads out roles to everybody. You find the you find the foil. You find the silver paint. Or uh, Harold, you get the makeup. Um, and at the same time, uh, Arnold and Gerald are there, kind of prepping for their own prank. And they're like, "Yeah, why don't you aliens go ahead and uh, show up to my my grandparents' party?" Uh, and kind of in hopes that they're gonna scare the adults. Um, I think that's kind of the most like detailed detail I want to get into is how it gets to this point because the rest really does end up being like, um, the war, the the war of the world's radio show, um, starts out where Arnold and Gerald do some great Foley, um, art up on the roof and they, uh, convince, um, grandpa and the borders and all the neighbors that, um, aliens have landed. Um, but of course the alien conspiracy conspirator um back at the news station picks up the same radio frequency and uh is also in belief that something is happening and so they end up spreading the news throughout the whole city so the whole city turns into a panic uh, including big bob who pulls out um the big guns and by that i mean beepers uh uh him and uh, harvey and mr green drive around in a big humvee uh trying to find the aliens um, the kids are basically being chased around uh, in their bulbous alien costumes because uh, angry mobs think that they're really aliens. Um, and it all is capped off with Stinky, who has set up the water tower um, outside the city with uh, Christmas lights um, to kind of make uh, make the lie seem even more real. Um, and on top of that, they turned out the lights to the entire city on accident. So the city... Grandpa says it best at one point. He says, the city's on fire. Everyone's going crazy. And that's what happens. This prank gets out of hand. Um, And then water comes and spills on from the water tower, spills on all the kids and the makeup comes off and everything's okay. Uh, So it doesn't really have a great end. I mean, it's a, it's a funny episode uh, with a lot of bits that are great. Um, but it doesn't end with any kind of like moral or interesting, like tidbit on humanity. I think those you have to kind of pull out, uh, throughout the episode. This episode is a half hour or it's like, it's like 20 something minutes. And so there's a lot more information and I, I, I definitely could have gone into more detail and I feel like I totally bored anyone listening. Um, but that's okay. Cause that's what the first few minutes are all about. Am I right? Very true. And it was boring at all. Thanks man. Well, no, it was. You don't have to pretend like it. We just watched it. It's boring. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a super solid episode. I think I'm like 
I was worried as we were watching it that there's not much to dive into. And I think part of that is the sort of the way that the narrative runs is like super solid and it's very yeah, like, oh yeah. um kind of seems like there's not not a lot of ambiguity, which is I feel like where we usually dive into yeah. things the most. Uh everything was pretty much on the nose, but it was all very, very good. Yeah, it's like good writing. Uh, I like seeing – this episode has some nice adult – and by adult, I just mean literally the adults of the show. Yeah. Um, shows them uh, kind of going crazy too. So we see Big Bob at his best. We get to see Harvey the Mailman, Mr. Green, Principal Warts. We get to see uh, Grandpa and Grandma and all the boarders. And they all kind of do their own, their own thing, but uh, whereas the kids – really other than Arnold and Gerald, the kids are kind of secondary. They're the, um, the backdrop of what's happening. And so in some ways, I guess this is about the adults, not really, but like that's the forefront of the action, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I guess a component of it is sort of the, the, the adults like reverting to being like children. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, another part I think shows like uh, which they've done this a few times in the show is sort of like make a nod to the idea of like the mob mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think those parts are are like definitely there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was kind of mentioning before that before we started, um, one layer which isn't isn't a new thing for Helga at least, but. In both Helga's case and in Arnold and Gerald's case, they make an attempt to connect with the adults, and the adults reject that, and so they kind of take matters into their own hands. And that's both highlighted in Arnold and Gerald um, creating a fake narrative to like shake up, shake up uh, Grandpa's opinions about Halloween. Um, but Helga, she really wants to be seen by her dad, and that there's actually a really nice clip um, that shows that, and we should listen to it uh, right now. Come on, I gotta want something. What's going on? Dad, Dad. What? What do you think of my costume? It's fine. Dad, you haven't even seen it yet. Huh? Helga, what? I'm trying to figure out how much I lost on football yesterday. Dad, I just want you to look at the costume I'm wearing. There, I see it. You satisfied? Look at Green Bay win again! Another touching father-daughter moment. If anyone needs me, I'll be out soaping windows. And that's a little on the nose, which you kind of mentioned earlier, Adam, but... You, you know, having Helga say, I want you to look at the costume I'm wearing. That's very specific to what she wants. So there's no question about the conflict um, in Helga's characterization. Um, but I think having it be on Halloween is interesting. Having her say, look at the costume I'm wearing. Um, that, of course, is a more like um, thoughtful, metaphorical conversation about how Helga sees herself. Um, and she's asking her dad, hey, I... I I'm dressing up now, but I always dress up. What, like what, who, who am I to you? I mean, reading into that. Yes. Um, but I think it's an interesting, especially between the two of them, because he just misses her all the time. He calls her Olga. 
Um, I think if another character had said it, I wouldn't really care um, as much. But I think because it's Helga who has so much trouble connecting with her family, who is in a lot of ways her, um, I think having this on Halloween, which is all about like dressing up who you're trying to be, and also having it be about Arnold and Gerald creating a fake narrative, mixing all that together makes this scene a pretty powerful interaction i think yeah totally and i think to build on that i think probably for her and her dynamic with her father in the show it's kind of like he's he always calls her olga like you mentioned and i think maybe for her and in this sort of situation like her recognizing like look at this thing that isn't me might be the way to unify them in that moment so it's like as it's an extension of her but it's like separated from her enough that maybe it, they can have this sort of unifying moment that's like that's them really good. laughing together. Yeah. And it's yeah. like connected to her, but it isn't her. And yeah. maybe that space there is important for her and her dad to actually bond, which makes sense like in what you're talking about, about identity and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I think that probably a lot of what people do generally is that it's like you create yourself or curate yourself in a way where it's an extension of you, but it is not, it is enough separated from you to make it something that allows you to communicate with others in a way that is both personal, but also detached. Wow. And that sort of ambiguity is important and space is important. That's some good Halloween theory. Like, you know, it's a time to dress up. And so for, for kids, usually it's, what can I, what can I be that can I, that I can never be what, like w- yeah. w- whether it's scary or a superhero or like something funny, whatever for adults, it's similar, but it, it's, it sometimes can accidentally be more personal. So you have like totally. sexy nurses, right? Yeah. Where it's this weird combination of like, I'm not usually this sexy, but here I am. And yeah. also I'm not a nurse. Let's combine that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there are some interesting identity conversations to have with, um, Halloween, e- even just like the traditional costumes are all the dead, which is kind of uncanny. Mm-hmm. So there's something, uh, so th- we've talked about the uncanny before, but the uncanny is when uh, the real life example is when a baby looks in the mirror and goes, Oh, is that me? Uh, it looks like me, but maybe it's not. Or a dog looks in the mirror. There's like something missing when it comes to connecting to self and what costumes are, the reasons why costumes are connected to the uncanny is that when you look at someone dressed up as like a zombie or like Frankenstein or Dracula, you think, okay, that's especially realistic ones, right? You think, Oh, that's kind of like a human, but it's a little bit scary. There's something uncanny about it. It, it reminds me of humanity, but it's not humanity. But in reality, there is a human underneath that, you know, rubber skin. So there is something, um, there's something uh, interesting about Helga wearing this like gross makeup. And at the end, you know, I kind of glossed over it, but at the end, Bob is shaking her. He's shaking his own young, like, I'm going to, I'm going to wring your neck. I'm going to kill you. Like this, this uh, attack against his own flesh and blood because he doesn't recognize it. Yeah, definitely. Which is fascinating. And just kind of made sense right now as we were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. For Um, sure. So when Helga says, look at me, she's saying, look at a version of me that's kind of like me, but you're probably not going to recognize it because you already don't recognize me. And I think it, it like, and, and, it, and it leans into sort of like 
a normal sort of stereotypical like bonding moment for a, a parent and their kid, right. which is like centered around Halloween and the sort of dress up around that. Um, mm. Yeah, and I and it, it also reminds me of just like more generally of like the of uh, like how people use and how like comedy operates is in that same way mm. where it's like both hyper personal but it's also extremely detached. Yeah, so it allows you to go places kind of like a costume does, especially in Halloween. Mm-hmm. It allows you to go places that otherwise you would not be allowed to. Mm. So like mm-hmm. dressing up as a thing we're all scared of, which is death. In that right, moment, right. is fine and acceptable, and it's even funny to some degree, or scary depending on how that you go with it. Um, so it's both like both like expressing something that we all think about in some way. Same with I think the sexuality of of Halloween also operates that same way. It's like right. bringing out a thing that we're all kind of thinking about all the time, but it's taboo to sort of talk about. So you're doing that with death in Halloween. You're also doing with sexuality in Halloween, and I think mm-hmm. um, is like a thing that is sort of also runs through comedy and acting and all those sorts of other things. Yeah. There is something like, I think the reason why a thing can move you when you watch it is because it, it, you recognize it, whether it's a drama or comedy or animation, you recognize it as something almost like your experience. And so it like shakes up your emotions in a certain way, but it like you sometimes you watch a film and you cry and you don't even know why and you and you think what about that made like touched me so much and i wonder if that's the uncanny a little bit totally and i think it's it's familiar enough for you to connect to it but it's detached enough to allow you to be vulnerable yes and to disarm that's really you. good yeah 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 well and th- there's something um uh powerful about bob like going to his knees and saying i like i almost killed my own kid like he didn't there was something missing and it brings this big, tough, angry, detached man to his knees, like in tears, which is like the only, like, it's interesting. They don't, they don't stick to it, but it's the only time you really see regret, um, from him, um, so far, at least in the show. Um, there have definitely been times where he's been moved to change his mind, but it hasn't been out of regret. It's been out of like, well, I can make more money somewhere else. And, it's a actually kind of tender moment having Helga on his back as they walk back towards the, towards the city. It's like a really weird. It, but it's, it's also very interesting because it's about the sweetest, most personal moment you see between the two of them. And it's really. directly after him almost killing her. Yeah. And, and the thing that he's articulating is not my poor daughter. I almost killed you. He is appealing to the thing like we're talking about, about the idea of a dress up thing that is separate from Helga connecting the two of them. It's like this ambiguous moral claim, Mm. like that I almost killed my own blood. So it's almost has nothing to do with Helga has more Mm. to do with Mm. the fact that this is like some sort of ethical societal norm that we've created. Like you don't kill your kids or you don't kill your family. Yeah. Right. So it's both personal to Helga, but it's also separate from Helga because you could universalize that and apply that to anybody. And he would supposedly have that same feeling. So it could be Olga. It could be Helga. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that it's his blood. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's both personal and impersonal simultaneously. And it's, so it's almost completely in line with their dynamic, even in this moment Mm. that seems extremely heartfelt and you think is like a sweet moment in a weird way. Yeah. But it's extremely impersonal. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't surprise me that he's dealing with that because she is pretty similar. Like they, uh, you know, the more you watch the show purposefully like this, like uh, he's horrible. He's a terrible dad. 
but she's terrible too. And you it, like, it really is father, like daughter, um, like father, like daughter, uh, in that he's going to make this tragedy about himself. And so when she, anytime that she's trying to connect with Arnold, um, when she fails is when she makes it about herself. When she succeeds is when she makes it about someone else, whether that's Arnold or whoever. And I watched an episode recently. I think it was, I was rewatching parents day and prep for the movie. And she, um, she feels bad about something, but she wants Arnold to like her. And so she says, I've got the perfect plan to win him back. And then she apologizes to him. And then she says, I think that worked out well. And all she was able to do, she saw the pain in Arnold and that actually affected her because it, it, it affected her more than it affected him. And so for her to say, my apology made me feel better is exactly what Bob is dealing with. Not in the apology part of it, but in the I'm being attacked because I almost killed my my own flesh and blood or whatever whatever he says. Yeah, totally. And I think that's like, yeah, in any situation, that's like what you're talking about with Helga and the apology. Like most people when they apologize or they're quote unquote seeking closure, mm. it's mostly along those same lines. It really has less to do with the other person and pretty totally. much just oh, has yeah. to do with it. Apology culture is kind of gross. Yeah, it's kind of awful. I mean, we all take part in it for mostly good reasons, but there's you can never be pure. You can never be pure with an no, apology. No, no. You can be yeah. 80%. You can be, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, you try, it's almost like it's you're like trying there's to some justify fluoride it, right you know? or wrong. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, it, I'm glad we landed on Uncanny. Um that's interesting. Uh, that's why the mob chased these kids. It's like, it's so obvious. These are kids dressed in Halloween costumes. It's Halloween. Like, mm-hmm. and yet I guess fear, fear brings up some kind of veil between reality and surreality. Yeah. And, and I think in a weird way, if it, like you were talking about sort of during different time periods, historically you have sort of, Oh, right. Yeah. Different people tapping into the, into this like collective consciousness in different right. ways. And it can be through paranoia of the other in various fashions. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes like you were saying, well, yeah. So the theory is um, that uh, just so we talked about this off mic. And so before we dive in, let's, <laughs> let's oh, yeah, describe yeah. what I, it I is. I thought the mic was running during that. Time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so this, this, this episode is both. It is a knockoff of um, uh, the Orson Welles uh, radio show, which we can talk about more in a minute. Uh, it's also definitely a knockoff uh, or a reference to um, the Twilight Zone and the X Files. And if you think about when those two shows were at their peak, so Twilight Zone in the fifties, um, X Files in the nineties, those and both those shows are about paranormal um, conspiracy theories, especially the X Files uh, is about pulling conspiracy theory out of a seemingly innocuous situation. Um, and the X-Files was huge in the nineties and really economically. And, um, you know, when it comes to our foreign relations, the nineties were some of the best years we had, um, in theory, obviously you can pull the onion layers and find some dirt, but in general, the nineties were a pretty positive time. So there's a lot of arguments that the reason why the X-Files was so, um, successful uh, during that time period is because uh, there was nothing else for Americans to worry about. And so it it kind of made sense that there it, there must be something wrong with, with our government. 9-11 happens, 2001, uh, all of a sudden that 
paranoia became a real physical thing. It no longer was about aliens or about chemtrails or about um, any kind of like, eh, probably not situation. It became about an actual group of people doing actual harm to American soil. And so you see a show like 24 switch from the general terrorist to specifically Islamic terrorism. You see um, the X-Files get canceled. Um, <clears throat> I mean, those are the two best examples that I are the only ones I know. But... Um, it's interesting that this show isn't at, it's far off in that these are clearly kids in costumes and it's an animated show, but it fits in the culture of that time. I think. Yeah, I think, and I think both of them are sort of similar because you have statistical, <laughs> one of them is insane or not insane, but pretty absurd. The idea of like extraterrestrials right, right. and people being abducted and stuff. Right. So the chances of you being abducted are probably non-existent. It's probably not going to happen to you. One in a trillion, yeah. like infinity, <laughs> like, the, and that not only does it, you not only do aliens have to exist, they have to pick you. Like yeah, it's, it's like totally it, like two. <laughs> and then, and then with terrorism more broadly, no matter who's perpetrating it, the chances of happening to you are slim to none as well. Yeah. Like your chances of getting it struck by lightning are greater, getting a car accident and dying are greater. Right. So and dying of smoking related things, air right. quality, different environmental causes. Right. So, but the way that like we are sort of, we feel, or these things like tap into society is really interesting and specific. Mm-hmm. And so that actually, what you just said about that, like to be scared of terrorism like kind of in a way makes sense, but then actually doesn't statistically make sense. And it's the same thing with sort of the show and um, their res- the, the people's response to the radio show that they're listening to. It's like everybody's sort of participating in this cultural event, which is believing in UFOs or sort of conspiracy theories, these sorts right, of things. Right. And they know that it's bullshit, but like part of you weirdly wants to believe it because believing in something bigger than yourself or whatever is, is desirable in some way. There's this quote I want to look. X-Files is a very good show. You all should watch it. One of its main quotes is, I want to believe. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, th- yeah, that's actually perfect. Yes. So, so what is happening in the show is these people, like, know that it's bullshit, but because it feels so real, it feels better to follow through with it. Yeah. Instead of to stand there and question and go, what? These are clearly fucking children. To get caught up in the moment, like, sort of makes sense because it's, like, happening around you. Right, right. Which is, like, how mass hysteria always occurs, where it's, like there's something about the sort of the momentum that's going on around people around Mm. you, you get swept up in it. And so I think it feels good to participate and it feels like the thing you should be doing. And so you're not thinking rationally. Right. Mm. And Mm. so, and it's your way to take this thing that feels far out there Mm -hmm. and actually make it personal and being able to make that connection, like makes you feel valuable or it makes you feel like you're a part of this greater thing. Right. So it makes the abstract thing less abstract. So, Bob actually says when um when he hears on the radio that beepers around town are like not working, he goes now it's, now pers- it's personal now it's personal exactly when the irony is when he's shaking his daughter like like wringing her neck yeah that actually is that's the most personal you can be totally. by killing your own flesh and blood so there's some interesting um uh like uh post structuralist like uh. He says personal, you don't, but the irony is he doesn't realize how personal it actually totally. is um, because his daughter's being chased around by an angry mob with pitchforks yeah. and like 
It's you been know. personal the whole time. Yeah. 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 Totally. And it's like you said the thing about 9-11, like post 9-11, like you have like cities like New York and L.A. and probably Vegas and these like really notable cities that like are probably if things are bad, things are going to happen in any regard. Right. 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 From anybody. Are Including more like, aliens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've exactly. seen Independence Day. That's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Washington, D.C. Yeah. So are more likely to occur in these places. But then you have like small towns that like want to feel like they're vulnerable mm-hmm. and want to feel like they're desirable to attack in some way and now they have to have tanks and they have to have all this other shit and it's like if anything's gonna happen it's not gonna happen to you you know what i mean right but like it feels good to feel like Mm. you matter so much that these bad quote people are going to attack you out of all people and it's like you're no in your shit town nothing's gonna happen to you you're fine yeah bob is um really funny pre 9-11 and he's a little depressing post 9-11 because he fits in that like him going into his tank, like I'm not letting them take over America. Like yes. when it comes to aliens, it's so funny. It's like, yeah. it's if I can put myself into the mind of an adult watching the show in 1997, this is like so funny, but watching it now, like uh, it's, it's not as crazy. It's, real. it's too it, real. There's too many yeah. shitheads in like Idaho or someplace yeah. that are like in a bunker right now in Montana in a yeah. bunker right yeah. now. And where we're recording, there are people like militia folks, like in Orange County. I don't want to talk about it. I know. <laughs> and it's but it's terrifying yeah, and it's true. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of uh Bobs in this world. But let okay, let's talk about Bob for a second. First of all, Maurice Lamarche is the voice. He also voices Brain from Pinky and the Brain. He also voices um Douglas Kane, who is the uh alien conspirator con- conspirator yeah. uh in this in this uh episode. He's fantastic. He's yeah, an amazing character. So Brain and both Brain and Douglas Kane, who is funny enough, a reference to Citizen Kane, possibly um, by Orson Welles. That voice is very similar to an Orson Welles voice. It's mm. it's a knockoff of an Orson Welles voice. Um, so basically, Maurice Marsh brings it this episode. Like mm-hmm. like both both characters he's portraying are like the best. The best. They're so funny and yeah. like um, present and. Uh, um, I love, I mean, really Bob is one of my favorite tertiary characters in the mm-hmm. show. He, he is such a blowhard and a jerk and, you know, he doesn't show a ton of character development, but, um, he's consistently a shithead though, which is fantastic. It's so funny. Like him, like betting on football games and yeah. like, like his romance to Miriam is kids are gone. Nothing but you, me and the wheel. And he's watching wheel of fortune. Like yeah. that's, that's the perfect, it's the not all the dads in the show are bad. He is bad. Yeah. He is like not a good, he's not a They're good in dad. And a clearly loveless marriage where she, the wife is constantly wasted yeah. and, and is yeah. doing her best in this episode to show that. But, but they allow him to also be like the common sitcom dad, which both is like yeah. reading the paper, like being chubby, but then even telling the story about his abduction, or yeah. his, his, his close encounter. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you hear Miriam in the background go, not again, B, please yeah. do not tell the story again. And and as he's telling the story, it cuts to Helga mouthing the story. Yeah. Like Bob. Like they've all heard it. Oh my gosh. He's so good. And Maurice LaMarche is one of the best character um, actor uh, voice performers. Um, and I think Bob is like a testament to that. And that he can just say, yeah, I'll, I'll do a Orson Welles impression, impression yeah. for this like uh, one off character that literally is never seen again. But he's yeah. like, great. I think this episode for me personally has some of the best il- illustration. Yeah. Oh, totally. And yeah. In the tertiary characters, like the neighbors, and in 
the Orson Welles like character, like his facial expressions in it are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like the whole thing is just I I feel like makes a leap even from previous episodes in this episode. Yeah. Well, he uh, they like making villain ish characters have those like tiny faces, yeah, and big heads, great. which is similar yeah. to the um, Gerald Gerald's High Life episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the yes. Mister uh, Wacko. They both have these like fascinating like giant Their heads. proportions are very strange yeah and it's great um yeah the 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 illustration for this episode you cut and see so many characters in their homes you see yeah. principal warts you see harvey the mailman you see mr green and they are beautiful beautifully drawn in the same way that i think we mentioned a few episodes episodes ago how it's exciting to see the bedrooms of, yeah. of the students. And now that they've kind of done almost all of the student characters, they've, they're now like, okay, well let's see, let's see where Mr. Green lives. And he's like eating a TV dinner on a card table with a TV on the, on it. And you yeah. see how bald he actually is like so great. Um, you see that Harvey lives in this, like, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little like jazz pimp. It literally a says little bit. jazz yeah, on the wall. <laughs> It's swanky as hell. Yeah, and he's wearing like a leopard print robe. Yeah. Um, but then I like that when he decides to go with Bob, he dresses in his mailman costume because yeah, yeah. like that means he's at work. You know, he's yeah. he's like ready to go. Um, well, that's like how he that's who he is and how he is in in society. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah, that Bob is great, and this episode is is it's strong. It's stronger than I remembered. I when I was went to watch it today, I'm like, oh, I don't know, like I don't even remember this episode that much. I've only seen it maybe twice, um, and it turned out to be pretty good. It's really good, yeah, yeah, pretty funny. Uh, I love that Harold made the mistake of buying like basically cement for uh, their costume. <laughs> yeah, just like rubber paint. <laughs> it's like the most uh, Harold. Uh, it's it. Of course, he's an idiot. He would, he would, of course, do that. Um, it made for good-looking costumes, though. Oh my gosh! If I was that good at nine, I would have like been hired by the Muppets or something. It's amazing, yeah. amazing uh, design. Um, okay, so we could keep talking, or we could say bye bye to Halloween. I think I think we should end on a high note. I think we did a good right, summary. Cool. I think that was cool. uh, cry of the week. How you feeling? Oh. Oh, no, you go first. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, I I think Helga and her dad, um, mm. especially early on, I mean, the end is good for Bob, but, you know, first when he calls her Olga and she's like, how many times is he going to do that? And then when she says, look at, look at me, look at this costume I'm wearing, that has so many layers of sadness. One is that he's just ignoring his daughter. Um, two, that she, like that she's wearing this like hideous costume to get his attention. Sad. I would say probably th- three and a half tears. Ooh, three and a half. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not like cry, cry. He, yeah. She definitely has more touching moments, but it's sad for sure. Yeah. I think for me, probably it's, which I discovered through this recording while we are recording, but like the impersonal nature of his response to her, almost strangling mm-hmm. his own daughter. Yeah. I yep. think it's pretty tragic. <laughs> oh Yeah. And I don't think at first it feels like that, but the more that I think about it, it's yeah. pretty insane. Um, and yeah, cause I think it points to a lot of like that moment is like a good indicator of basically how the rest of the relationship is and how totally. the relationship is yeah. throughout the entire show. Um, yeah. So I'd give it 4.25. 
four point two five. Yeah, four and a quarter. Four and a quarter. Um, I, I like that. Okay, uh, I know that there's like a lot of Simpson references in the show. Um, a lot of like voices carry over. Um, and you know, blowhard dad basically wringing the neck of kind of kooky kid is a very Homer Bart moment. Um, they, I don't know if they meant to do that, but it, it feels, it feels right. feels right. Mm -hmm. He's such a blowhard. Mm -hmm. I love big Bob. Oh, and beepers. Oh my gosh. I'll say this. We're not going to talk about the movie until we finish the show because it's out of order, but they, they set the show basically in present day and Bob is failing at beepers because beepers aren't a thing. And it's so funny. It's like, he's, he's just making a Christmas tree made out of beepers because he has nothing else to do. It's so funny. It's, it's exactly what I wanted from big Bob is to see him like wallow in his own failure. It's amazing. So see, see the movie. We'll talk about it in like eight years or however long it takes to get there. Uh, (laughs) We'll probably talk. No, no. Yeah, we're clearly starving for success. The fact that we're not choosing the topical route. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, Well, look, music. The only thing that's appropriate is the X Files theme song. Uh, The Z. The Z. The Z Files. Yeah, they call the Z Files in this show in uh, a Arnold. Um, I I don't remember who uh, wrote it. Its name is Mark Snow. I think. I'm gonna look it up. Or maybe that's the guy from Twin Peaks. Oh shoot. I feel really bad if that's not. I just typed in X Snow into the <laughs> into my phone. <laughs> yeah. Um. It is by. Yeah, it's by Mark Snow. I got it right. Nice. I feel good about that. Um. It. If you guys haven't watched the X Files, it's really good. I know it's dated, but it actually holds up. It's it's really good um, script writing. The character development's great. Um. So normally we recommend music. We're using music to recommend, recommend a show, um, yeah. But if you can't, if you can only watch one, watch Hey Arnold. That's what I would say. Um, one show, one podcast. That's it. Both Hey Arnold. Exactly. Related. Yeah, that's right. Uh, hey, uh, w- we know we're few and far between. We do our best to keep up when we can. Um, please rate and review us. Uh, Send us an email. Tell us how great we are. How much you enjoy listening. Yeah. Or no, we're not. Yeah, tell us how bad yeah. we are. Hey.hayarnoldhey at gmail.com. Another good way to show you how much you enjoy the show is just sending us as much money as you possibly can afford. Yeah, I mean, Adam, would you say $5 is good? I, I don't There are some organizations that want like 10% of your income, and I think we should shoot for that. I don't see why not. We are not a church. We are not affiliated with a church. A church. People probably listen to our show more than they Religiously, go to Religiously, huh? Yeah. Get it? Um, thanks for tuning in. Um, see you next week or whenever when we talk about Arnold again. <laughs> Thank y'all. Bye.